The Genesis Foundation approaches its 20th anniversary, and during those 20 years it has played a major role in the lives of numerous musicians, actors and artists in the UK. One organisation that has worked closely with the Foundation is the Young Vic, and over the past 15 years this relationship has enabled the Young Vic to develop programmes which give young directors rounded, varied and multi-layered training. The Genesis Foundation currently funds the two-year Genesis Fellowship, the Genesis Directors Network and the Genesis Future Directors Awards. On this Genesis Foundation 20 podcast, we invited the Young Vic's artistic director, Kwame Kwe Amar, to choose someone he'd like to join him in conversation. And his guest is the architect, Sir David Ajay. David, I just want to say what a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant pleasure it is amid COVID times to, uh, to be able to dive into your brilliant, brilliant mind and just converse. As, as, as you may know, uh, the Genesis Foundation, they fund a lot of the work that we do at the Young Vic with emerging directors, and it, it's priceless. So uh, first of all, big up to the Genesis, but, but Dee, uh, you know, uh, spending time with you, as we did a few months ago in Cape Town, yeah. is always a delight. How, how are you hanging, brother? I'm good. Thank you so much. It's it's wonderful always to connect with you. I I, I love our conversations. No, um, it's good. We're really well. You you know we're in Accra. It's a very different world to London, but it's really good. The sun is shining. We're happy. I know. I, I need this COVID thing to move quickly because I'm I, I was planning to come over and see you very soon. So yeah. uh, no. <laughs> I, I need to be able to get on a flight. Uh, yeah. Once they saw that that complication. You, you work on on about five continents. I mean, are you just like forever in Zoom conferences now? Yeah, Zoom has taken over my life. Um, I feel very sedentary, Yes, um, which is problematic. But in a weird sort of way, I'm in more contact with people than I've ever been during my mm. flying time. So it's actually made me much mm-hmm. more connected to people. It's made, it, it's made it way too easy to just get online and um, talk to people. So we're actually talking all the time and everybody's working all the time. So... Mad. Are you not a bit worried about it? I'm a bit worried about it, David, right? I, I spend, like, it, again, like, like, like most of us, I spend, you know, I don't know, maybe 12 hours a day in and out of Zoom calls, right? In yeah. and out of this communication and, and finding myself completely and utterly bound to my devices during this time. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm slightly worrying about what that's doing to my mind. As, as I kind of fuse with my laptop and fuse with my, with, with my iPhone in order uh, to compensate <laughs> for this lack of personal contact. For me, the issue is the blurring. The idea of blurring everything is not so great. I don't want to blur work with my family time, with my quiet time, you know, and, mm. and, and, and one wants to be able to retreat, especially if one spends a lot of time thinking working through ideas, it's that retreat is very important. So, I mean, it's fantastic to be able to communicate. I mean, I think one of the wonderful things that it has brought, of course, which everybody's saying is, you know, you know, we finally have embraced video. You know, I think video... (laughs) Yes. Which was quite ubiquitous, you know, because we had answered a fair share of cynicism about what do we need to see each other for, is now broken. That's where now... the other side of that, which I think is a healthy thing for maybe cutting down on travel that is sometimes just not because yeah. some travel yeah. is not necessary and just sort of... No, I, no, I, I have to be honest, I, you know, I'm, I'm so zoomed out 
that I think if someone in Newcastle says to me at the end of this, listen, I'd love to have a five minute meeting with you. I might be like, yeah, great. I'm, I'm on my way. I'll be like, oh, like I don't know, Los Angeles. Yeah. Yeah. I know I would love to zoom. Normally I would be Skyping, but yo, let's go for this. I'm, yeah. I'll, I'll be over for the yeah. 10 minute pitch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, David, we, we first met, I mean, I, I don't know, maybe a decade ago or something. And I remember walking into your office in London and I remember we were talking about a project we were going to do together where, where I was trying to fuse all of the disciplines it was going to be Oswald was going to do the costumes and you were going to do the design of the environment. And Chris O'Feely was going to do the, the, the kind of visual content. And I was going to direct. I remember coming to see you in your office and, and having, you know, of course, read about you and, 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 and been a fan. But you, you kind of spoke to me about something at that point. You spoke to me about the, the need for thinking time, the need to not respond to the world in, in an immediate way all of the time and, and how that infuses our art. Can you vibe on that a little bit for me? It's the most precious thing, I think, in an ever more connected world. It's the most precious thing as a creative person. And speaking for myself in my world, you know, once one becomes more engulfed in deadlines and project management and, you know, the way in which things are becoming much more structured, the, the fight is to, is to find spaces to, to breathe inward and to really allow, you know, I just think that it all happens. You know, we don't consciously construct thinking. It's a state that we need to put ourselves in so that the kind of the, all the kind of synapses and all the kind of stuff in our head goes off and works stuff out or meditates on things and just kind of, kind of gives a kind of reflection back through the lens of what this body is that you're using as your tool. And, I, you know, I, I just think it's such an important thing and we are in a world where response is just so required and I'm sort of thankful for me in my world that with architecture even though architecture has sped up dramatically over the last hundred years mm. it used to be a much slower art that nobody would think anything of building a building for 30 years that was normal <laughs> yes <laughs> now it's like 30 minutes and it's yeah. up and it's up 30 yeah. months you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's got to be big it's got to be you know and it's got to do all these things so finding ways to carve that time is is everything for me and um there's no embarrassment in saying i just need to think about this i mm. I, I love that i love that I, I i remember when i took over uh, the theater in baltimore that i remember there was there was a one member of staff who would often we'd be in a meeting and and you know i, I you know I, I was new and i wanted to prove myself and i wanted to turn things around really quickly and i'd be in a meeting and i'd be like so listen we're going to do this 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 and this what do you think and, uh, and she would often say, okay, uh, yeah, 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 yeah I'll, I'll give you my answer tomorrow. And I was a bit like, are you crazy? Are you crazy? Tomorrow? Like, I need it now. By t- tomorrow, I want to be building. You're talking to me about, as I got older, and as I got slightly more experienced, I began to really enjoy those moments when she said, yeah, um, I'll get back to you tomorrow. You know, because I went, oh. Well, that gives me time as well exactly. um, to, to think about it. I, I, I find that, uh, you know, that, that taking the time and, and, and even though the, the, this potty isn't about the time we find ourselves in, you know, and of course we're doing this over Zoom. Um, I have found this moment to be a moment to, of contemplation and reflection. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're all running at a thousand miles an hour as well. But mm-hmm. a moment 
to think about where we are in the portal. And what I mean by that is, is that, there, uh, of course, you, you understand, but even from my own thinking that I go, what was behind me um, will never come back. It's yeah. never going to be the same. Certainly not within the foreseeable. And yeah. what tomorrow is, I don't know just yet, but I know that I need to keep myself nimble enough. I need to keep myself lighter foot enough to be able to recognize where I am in this portal between yesterday and tomorrow, and to have enough tools in my mind ready to adapt when we walk into the new world that will be post-social distancing. Um, how are you negotiating this time? It's so interesting to hear people describe and to hear you describe very dramatically the portal it's uh, you almost you're describing architecture to me that you sort of walk through you know, where instead of being held in one gate and, and moving into the other and it's it is incredibly fascinating i've sort of decided you know one i'm not doing many sort of talks about it but it just but because we're here and let we're doing this i've sort of that i've just decided to use to kind of go to a space in my own reflection which I didn't think was even a space that was allowed in the sense that I've just decided to kind of, I mean, I don't want to make anybody feel like they should have lose, but to lose the responsibility of, of the public, of being, yes. you know, yes. and then that's been the most delightful space. <laughs> so I, I'm actually, you're probably the first talk I'm doing and I've just been like, no, no, no talks. <laughs> Very happy. Yep. Um, uh, yeah, because in a way, there's something incredibly, I mean, this is the most horrific thing that's happening on the planet, but the most incredible thing at the same time in our lifetime, certainly since we were born. I mean, we've seen quite a few things, but nothing yeah. to be so systemic. Nothing like this. And it's, you know, ironically, it's, it's created a space, you know, within just, you know, eight weeks of incredible fuel for creativity. Mm so kind of full of, of thoughts that I just usually don't have enough time to kind of reflect on and keep reflecting on that it's sort of created a kind of very a very kind of powerful you know sense of something that one would actually project into the future say that maybe one day I will you know retire one day I will you know and mm -hmm. these things I will do and to realize that actually you know that you know that kind of old adage of just really trying to kind of if you can construct the world that allows you to live your life to the full potential that you can is so, so very important. I, I love that, David, um, because I found myself dancing with my ego also during mm -hmm. this time. Right. And, and what I mean is, you know, as we know, ego can be good and bad. Right. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, 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 you know, and I, I like to sit within both of them. The, the, the bad part of one's ego often which makes itself representative or manifest through envy or makes itself manifest through um, competitiveness. It's the thing I've been sitting in. And what's really been interesting is that a lot of people in my sector have, have now started to kind of go, oh, let's, let's just migrate to digital. 
Let's migrate to YouTube. Let's migrate to blah, blah. And I've been kind of doing digital theater in that way for about 10 years. So it doesn't, um, and it's not to diss it in any way, but yeah. for me, it doesn't feel innovative, right? It doesn't feel, it doesn't feel like it's, it's pushing any of the boundaries that I want to push. And so in, in, in an odd way, what I've done with the Young Vic is our community programs have been going on and serving in that way. But I've not been serving the big audience, right? Which is why I love what you say about letting go of audience, right? And the ego that is attached to being at the cutting edge, the ego that's attached to being, people go, oh my God, look what they've done and look how quickly they've done it. But actually think about sit in my garret and use the time to restore and reflect and actually to be thinking, and you, you do this we, in our conversation we had the other day in Cape Town, it was wonderfully refreshing, but actually to think about what's going to be happening in 2025. Yeah. <laughs> what, what's going to be happening in 2027. That's yeah. where my, my, my mind is, I, the, the day-to-day I can do. That's all right. But I, I don't need the applause of the here and now. Yeah. I need to be able to equip myself to deal with the art that I think we're going to want to be thinking about exactly. in, in three to five years' time. Exactly. So that is a wonderful thing to be able to free ourselves of, of that. Of course, you, know, you, you have your art scattered across the globe, which is a most beautiful thing. I remember when we first met, you were working on a project in Russia at the time, and I was so enthralled by it. Uh, that I was like going, wow, they let you do that in Russia? And you'd be like, yeah. They, they, they did. What's the art to you right now? Is there an art form? Is there a, a, a manifestation of art right now that's really speaking to you? That's really, uh, that's really moving you? I'm not so kind of aware of something new, but I am I'm sort of I'm in awe of the way in which sort of certain forms are hybridizing or mutating. I'm just looking at the a new, you know, in my world, the new new sets of practices, new, new groups. You know, there's a young team that I'm sort of helping and working with called Counterspace in South Africa who are going to Yeah. And they are just a phenomenal new gang in terms of, yes, they practice architecture, <laughs> but they've already learned some of the references, some of the things that we would use as references, some of the artists, some of the performance artists, you know, the work of Yoko Ono. They've read all the kind of critical thinking that we know and love. And they're going past that. <laughs> and they're already constructing that yes. past where we are creating worlds that are sort of using that. They were, they're already constructing narratives past that, assuming that that's a given and that we are completing that bit of it. And, and just watch <laughs> that happen in art, in architecture. Yes. And some designers that I'm seeing is, is just, it's kind of, it's very awe-inspiring, actually. I'm, I'm taken aback at, the kind of generational inventiveness of, of forms that we see. I love, I love, I love what you're saying about counter space. Cause you're absolutely right. When I was exposed to them, I was like, Oh wow. They're taking the stuff that was new for us and just saying, yeah, cool. It's, that's, that's just the bedrock. We got that. We got that. How, how, how do, how do we then, you know, how do we, how do we take their discipline of architecture into a completely different sphere? Yeah. And I found that, I found that really fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, and I and I I I've been I've been looking really interestingly at that there's a group of, of young and I, I call them filmmakers, but they're filmmakers when they're filmmakers, right? 
who are sampling movies. Yeah, yeah. And I, I love, you know, the idea of, of making film in the way that original hip hop was made. Yeah, it's genius. <laughs> right? It's like, and we know that black excellence has existed in music for, for or, and not only existed in music, but has been acknowledged in, in, in the world for, you know, for hundreds of years. And so actually to be able to see that, that kind of philosophy, that kind of thought pattern find itself into, into film, I'm really fascinated with what's going to happen with that and possibly XR as we move into, in, into the world of, of holograms and, as we, and how that's going to impact my sector in theatre. I find myself thinking about that a, that, that a lot. No, no, no. I, I think that, you know, there's a kind of very powerful moment where people like Arthur Jaffer and Khalil Joseph, you know, and there's a whole gang around them that they're also training and, you know, the recreating of institutions, Khalil Joseph's kind of making of a new institution called the Underground Museum, you know, reimagining the institution as a kind of new kind of social infrastructure, a new disseminator of knowledge in a, you know, in a very precise way, targeted it's like sort of, you know, targeted medicine for the right groups. It's rather than universal medicine, targeted medicine. And it's kind of talking about healing in a very kind of specific way, which I, I think is absolutely on point. That it's, we move from a kind of universal sort of idea of a kind of singularity to a much more polyphonous, richer narrative. You know, after a hundred years of, you know, since film was kind of invented, it sort of exists as a kind of body it's like the beginning of photography. It's no longer real. It's just, it's a form that is very clear. It's a kind of, you know, a series of stuff. And, and there's a generation who feel like they can just manipulate the stuff. And, you know, and I think that the way in which they're using, the way in which hip hop kind of used music to really kind of destructuralize music. When you heard it on gramophones or records, even CDs, it was still structural. It was like a kind of somehow a, re- a representation of something that was still real. And I think hip hop just destroyed that and said it was just a piece, it was just pieces of information. And, and that information could, re, could be reconstructed to make so many other narratives. And you could take Beethoven and a beatbox and create something new mm. if you wanted. I think that, 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 that what Khalil and, and Arthur are talking about in terms of the visual arts, visual knowledge and the moving image is really profound. How is it, David, moving back? I'm very fascinated by this. And again, this was a huge seed that you placed in my mind. Um, how is it moving back, back home to the motherland, back to Ghana? Yeah, I mean, I hate to kind of make it so weighty, but I think that what dawned on me suddenly was this, this, this sort of holding on to this romantic idea of return was actually <laughs> a complete hindrance because the problem of a romantic return is that it's fraught with all this drama (laughs) that is just exhausting (laughs) so you know myself and my family just just decided that you know just as easy as we could just shift to new york or or wherever else we were working we would just shift to a crowd and we suddenly found out that we we love it i mean it has completely different context where i am in my career right now is sort of the space that i need and in a funny sort of Mm. way context that i need Expand on that. What do you mean context? You know, I think that the difficulty of living in somewhere like London is that you feel, you know, in a a so-called first world city, is that you sort Mm. of find yourself unable to fully measure true need. 
expresses authorship based on authorship's sake. And so the, the kind of hyper-reality that I think happens in the first world city, which is just to do with, you know, that thing which becomes about competitive authorship. And that kind of creates a lot of froth. It, creates, it can create lots of good, but it also creates a lot of froth. And I think that somehow being in Accra at this time, for me, is, it's much more fragile. But that ability for me as a kind of creative is much more powerful and fueling. So that it feels less about competitive authorship and it feels more about possibilities. I so. love that, competitive authorship. I think in an odd way, that's, that's what I was, I was referencing, though not as articulately, when mm -hmm. I was talking about my ego and in terms of yeah. what, I'm, what, what, I'm, what I'm doing at, at this moment in my life. I, I want to wholly agree with you about the kind of sense of, of, of kind of romanticizing a return. Because, you know, it'll only break your heart. It'll only break um, your heart. It will always fail. <laughs> it, will, it, will, it will always fail. But the notion of just seeing Accra as an option yeah. of today. Yeah. Right? Today, I, I'm going to live in New York. Tomorrow, yeah. I'm going to live in Accra. Yeah. And, 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 and just seeing it as, as choice. And, and, of course, they were a privileged choice. And, and, and we give thanks for the blessings of all of those things. But the idea just equally not seeing it as, the grand return to Ethiopia, you know, <laughs> you know, uh, or the, the spiritual homeland. But yeah. actually, yes, there's a viable in environment yeah. to, to, to do your art. And I think what I, what I keep thinking is I keep going, do I want to do it? I mean, literally, you've just pl you placed the seed in my head. I hope what I've disrupted and I, I hope what I've given opening to is that I think that one has just got to stop thinking about quality being about a first world thing yes <laughs> and that happiness or fulfillment as is a kind of first world thing because it's a complete fantasy and it's a construction we know that right now when people can't go to the shopping mall or people can't go out right and, and in the way that they did we understand that our life is a construction and and the fragile nature of capitalism as we sit here thinking that we're about to head into a depression after only eight weeks of it having this this kind of attack on it but yeah i think you're right i think you did disrupt you you disrupted I, you know, I, I started thinking very much about, okay, well, what's, you know, what's the National Theatre of Ghana doing? <laughs> As opposed to actually going, um, you know, w we could just do anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, why don't we construct another idea of theatre? Why do you need to yeah. kind of form within the structure? Absolutely. Because we've been so trained to fill the roles. <laughs> yes, to fill the spaces, right? It's and to supply for the spaces, and it's sort of... An absurd idea <laughs> for true creative freedom <laughs> yeah. and find what you want to do and to then yeah. do it and to find the construction you know and it might be within something that's fine but to not feel that the creativity is fulfilled by filling a role i mean in truth i should say you know that that you know that i i'm loving being at the yv and and i don't see me leaving for a while but i would but, not but, but it, <laughs> well, we're at the beginning, right? We're right at the beginning. And, but, but what is important, I think, for me as an artist, is the dream, is the, is the consideration of the multiple options at any one time. To get to the place where David's got to, which is, again, not to be competitive and not to imitate, but just to kind of recognize it as a state 
of goodness right here and now. You go, oh, I like that. I've got to be able to just think about if I were to do that, what would it look like? What would it look like, yeah. I'm fond of describing myself a bit like you as, as a kind of generative, interpretive and curatorial artist. I have to feed all of those mm-hmm. at all times in order to, 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 to work in any of those disciplines, totally. if that makes sense. And, you know, one can argue that we're sort of talking in the air and there, is, there are pragmatics <laughs> reality. So this is not in any way to somehow discount, you know, the, the kind of basic realities. You know, I think that actually in a funny sort of way, artists have always kind of understood that. And I think that, you know, sure, it can even work. It works in the kind of constructions of, you know, Western sort of economies in the sense that the artist is always the, the, the character going into the, you know, the deprived neighborhood and finding in that. Yes. <laughs> so what's the difference? Yes. You know what I mean? So if the artist yeah. is kind of minor of opportunity and, and a minor of, you know, an extraction creature of opportunity, but not in a kind of commodity sense, but in a kind of ideological and environmental sense. Why can't we just the whole planet? (laughs) I I mean, I agree. And, and, And I love the frame of, you know, the artist as canary, you know, you know, that, that just goes. Or magpie. Or magpie. Correct. 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 Seeing what happens, testing. Absolutely new way, building. David, and again, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day to, to, to chat with me, because it's always beautiful. Um, I, I, I think my last question would be, David, when you, when you look out from where you are right now, and you look at the landscape, is there, and I'm talking about artistically, and it doesn't even mean people who are professional artists. Do, do you see something missing? Is this something, it's a mad question, I know, but, but do, you, do you look at the world and go, I, I see what we're not doing right now to fulfill our potential as artists? I, I, unfortunately, that's the curse of, I call it the eye of the artist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Constantly seeing what we're not doing and constantly wanting mm. to change it. I mean, it's, it's the fuel that drives why I want to do architecture because I think mm. it's constantly failing. It's constantly hopelessly behind, whether through the injustices of ignorance or, you know, the, or the bluntness of economic sort of ideas or the sort of ungenerosity of creative thinking. And so it is permanently a kind of work in progress. And if you are able to continually just observe the failure and to very critically observe that failure as fuel, continually rethink not just how you are working as an author and your successes, but rethinking why it matters to be an author and why it matters to think about the world and to to try and always make the world better. Totally. It reminds me of of being 20 and going, looking at the world of theatre and looking at the world of TV and going, I don't see myself there. Mm. I don't see it. And, uh, and therefore, uh, my job is to do. Yeah. My job is to attempt. Exactly. And, uh, and, and now I, I think the struggle for me is, uh, is form. How to keep encouraging my generation of artists and the generations after us, not just to disrupt, 
but to challenge form really hard, you know, to take no orthodoxies and, 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 and run at it with a, with, a, with a big hammer so that we reconstruct that world for our children, or at least take it one step further, at least incrementally take it one step closer to, to that romantic place that I have in my head where equality exists for all. Beautiful. The, again, I say thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, the Genesis Foundation are, are really good friends of ours. And when they asked me who I'd like to converse with, you were the first name out of the hat. And so uh, thank you again for taking time out. Give love to the family. Um, the uh, negative part of my ego is now going to confess how uh, envious I am that you're in Ghana right now with the sun beating down on you possibly. And uh, I'm in London, though um, I'm going to accept the energies of the first world and, uh, and to try and get me to the place. <laughs> uh, bless you, bless you, bless you. And uh, let's speak soon, brother. Soon as the flights, are, soon as the flights are up and running, you're going to see me in Accra. Sounds good. Looking forward. Much love. Much love. Peace and love. Kwame Kweyama was in conversation with Sir David Adjay. And you can find out more about the Young Vic at youngvic.org and about Sir David's work at adjay.com. And to discover more about the Genesis Foundation's work, go to genesisfoundation.org.uk.